My guest for this week's episode is Wendy Rolls, who divides her time teaching singing at two Brisbane secondary girls' schools and her own private studio, conducting a chamber choir for middle school girls and her PhD study. Wendy completed a master's where her thesis focused on the pedagogical needs of adolescent female singers, and she is currently tracking the vocal development of nine girls for her PhD. She is the creator of the Female Voice Change pamphlet and post packs, which you can get your hands on via her website. And Wendy is with me today to discuss how we can best navigate the adolescent female voice change. Wendy Rolls, welcome all the way from across the world in Australia to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. How are things with you? Very well, thank you, Alexa. Lovely. It's heading into autumn, beautiful time of the year. It's trying to be spring over here. It's trying its best, but it's it's failing miserably right now here in the UK. Um, I'd love to understand a little bit about you and how you came to work with young female singers and how that then led you into what you're doing now, which is a really great project on a PhD. Mm. Yeah, so I um, have always been singing. And when my children were at primary school, I started teaching classroom music and I happened to be at a mostly all girls school and so I and we used a Kodai approach which was singing based and I became quite fascinated with what was going on in their voices and I had them from pre-preps in three and four year olds right up to adolescence and so that was sparking my interest then when I went to go back to uni to do the vocal pedagogy masters at the Queensland Conservatorium I kept waiting to hear about adolescent girls' voices because I had students who'd had a terrible time of voice change and terribly husky and no power in their voice and it just didn't ever happen. So when I had a chance to do my research project, that's what I embarked on. I interviewed five highly experienced singing teachers and was quite interested to know that a lot of the work that had been done on voice change was mostly done in the choral domain and also it hadn't really made its way out of the academic literature into the teaching studios so that's why i started to explore that a bit more um, and i developed some little pamphlets which were hugely well received and i thought oh this is something that's not just me who's interested in and it that turned out to be a really lovely scoping study for what i do now and my world is filled with adolescent girls so now I'm not teaching classroom music anymore. I'm teaching in two girls' schools and at home, my home studio. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's what I eat, sleep and breathe pretty much. I should also say that my first profession was as a vet. And so I, um, I, I have quite a depth of training in physiology and anatomy. And even though, you know, we're bipeds, not quadrupeds, a lot of its theme and variations so it's i found that that physiology side of it's very interesting to me yeah. to marry the two mm. do you miss being a vet uh, my husband's a vet so we get to talk vetty things but no i just love what i'm doing yeah yes I, i'm grateful for the background it's given me mm. but it's much cleaner teaching singing i don't <laughs> smell <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's why I teach girls as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stinky boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what age so, range do we tend to think about when we're looking at female voice mutation during puberty? Well, you know, I think the changes can start early. For, um, for the really murky stage of it, though, I found it to be often in what in Australia is year eight. So that's about when they're 13. It coincides with the growth spurt and their first period. So we can't really ask them about where they are, although sometimes they'll volunteer that information. But uh, one of my students came in this year at the start of year eight and she suddenly was a foot taller than she had been. And I thought, uh oh, what's happening here? And all of a sudden her voice started to get breathy and I thought, yes, this is what's happening. So for my study, I've chosen that year eight to halfway through year nine, which is, as I say, 13, 14 years old. Mm. It will happen earlier for some girls, but but that, if you if you're sort of picking where you might aim, that's about the age. Yeah. Mm. And how long does the process actually take? 
usually by the time they get to about 15 turning 16 it, it hopefully has started to resolve now we don't really know the work has not yet been done i have a colleague who's tracking um, a, a voice change in girls from i think uh, about 10 years old to about 15. Um, so we, some of that is still the work's still coming in but Usually by the time they're about 16 and when their larynx has got a vocal ligament developed in the vocal folds, then things are starting to become more robust and have an adult form. So we don't even know really whether if what we do makes a difference or we're just keeping them encouraged mm. while they're going, holding their hands as they cross that bridge. So that's work, work still to explore. Yeah. Mm. Besides the vocal development for a second, what else is happening in the body at the onset and throughout female puberty, particularly with the brain development and, and other hormones? Mm. Yes, so everything is growing, not just the larynx. Um, everything is is changing. The brain is having to to coordinate this changing body, and so there's a lot of challenge to that um, neuromotor control, but also the limbic system is really in charge, and so they're very full of um, anxiety, emotions, um, they can be very impulsive, their ability to reason, the prefrontal cortex is not very well developed, that still takes some time to develop after that, and so they're really a little bit of an emotional mess, and reasoning is hard work. So in the brain, it's I think it's important to cut them some slack. They're not very good at reading facial expressions. You know, you might look at them in surprise and they think you're incredibly angry with them. So I tend to have a mantra for myself to smile in big print and make sure I'm always on their team and I'm always smiling at them mm. uh, because they they often struggle to interpret that as meaning. Subtlety is not, not an adolescent girl's strong suit, really. Mm. Um, yeah, so coordination generally you know even like the boys it's hard I know we're generalizing um the boys are you know the typical gangly boys tripping over their hands and their and their feet but girls have it to a certain extent too it's just that the growth happens in a slightly different uh way so laryngealic if I can just pop back there the larynx in a boy grows vertically um and so that's why the vocal folds become much longer and the and the range drops by an octave eventually but in a girl it just grows overall bigger instead of that that height in the larynx so the vocal um development only means that the range only drops about a third so, you know, when we're, we've got singers, sing, students wanting to sing um, songs by a male pop star, we will need to change that key because there's usually about a third difference mm -hmm. in it. So, and, and I used to struggle to explain that to them or to justify it. They go, no, no, I can sing that low. But, but when you explain, well, no, physiologically, you know, you're actually a different, you've got a different shape in that neck of yours. So it's, it's a different system and, mm. and it's okay. Mental Health First Aid England here, I remember doing their, their youth uh, mental health awareness course. And in that course, mm. they, they mentioned the brain, as you have just there, about how it's still developing and how youth are fighting this imbalance between chemicals and, and physiology. Mm. You also mentioned this in your leaflet as well um, on female voice change. Mm. For love nor money, I would not go back to my teenage years. They were horrendous. <laughs> they felt horrendous. Great times in them, but horrendous in terms of emotions, for sure. Absolutely. Mm. How do you advise that, other than the smiles and, you know, giving them a bit of a break? How can we help? And it's not just girls, it's the boys as well, to navigate this when they are going through a whole lot of social media as well in this day and age. I sound really old <laughs> saying that. Um, considering, you know, the other psychosocial elements of exam pressures and friendships mm. and maybe new relationships and exploring who they are as they grow up. Mm. I think it's really important that we are safe adult for, for our students. Uh, I think it's important to externalise their progress, to help them to see that their voice is not there. Their body might be part, might be their voice, but it's not their identity. So identity development's really important at this stage, as as you're alluding to. One of the things I do is externalise goal setting and make goal setting really visible, make their learning visible, mm -hmm. so that it takes it out of 
their sense of, oh, I am bad because my voice is not working today. Um, and to track it, I use things like I have bunting from from Kmart. I don't know if you have Kmart in the UK, but but just, you know, party bunting and we use um, fluorescent chalk pens and everybody writes their goal for that term on the bunting. So everybody who comes into the studio reads, oh, that's what so-and-so is working on increasing their range or oh, they're working on a bit more power. and, and Oh yeah, actually, I that that's that's something I want to work on too. So that's the collegiality, but it's at a remove. It's not a it's not a personalised um, thing, if that makes sense. They become part of a team who are all sort of heading in the same direction, but it's it's something that's taken out of their social network, for example. I think. When we externalise progress, even when we're talking about learning a song, I like to talk about big rocks in the song, you know, so I say, right, you've got melody and rhythm and words and phrasing, how are you going on that? And I ask them to give a star rating, like a movie review. Oh, no, no, I'm not very good. I'm not, no, no, I'm not asking if you're good. I'm saying, how well do you know it? So if you don't know it, that's a one star. Once you know it completely, that's five stars. So how many stars are you? And that way it's taking it away from uh, me and what I've done and how much I can remember, how good am I, how perfect am I, to be going, well, okay, on melody, four stars, I think I've got four stars, rhythm, that's four stars, words, oh no, I need to work on the words, that's three stars. And that takes it away from being personal and um, loaded. There's no finger pointing there. I do a similar thing with asking about practice routine. I'll say, uh, you know, on a scale of one to 10 from one, I leave my lesson and don't think about it until I come back to the next lesson, um, to 10, I know what I need to do to practice and I do it every day. What number would you give yourself? And some will say, um, oh, four. And that helps them to be alert to the fact that, you know what, other people don't don't necessarily only think of it like that. Um, or some will say, oh yeah, I'm a seven. So that's really helpful. And then I'll say something like, well, what would it take to move your five to a six? And I'm not saying what would you do or how can you practice more? Um, it's very objective and it's very separate from, there's no finger pointing, as I said earlier. So I think those sort of things are helpful to keep it, uh, this is where we are and keep it very objective and matter of fact. And then I, that develops a sense of agency in the students that they can see that they are making progress and it's not me valuing their progress, it's me maybe helping them notice their progress. One of the schools I work with is, um, it does a lot of work with the Harvard um, thinking routines. And that the big word with them is noticing. And I love the word noticing in my teaching. What do you notice then? Mm. And uh, Irene Bartlett, who runs the course at the con, uh, talks about, I think, I, I hear, but you feel. Well, I heard this. What did you feel? So not what do you hear? It's, it's, I mean, that's a general thing for singing anyway, but it's a, it's a slight distinction. I think our language is so important that we don't inadvertently put pressure on our students of any, of any age, but especially with these younger ones and to keep the growth mindset happening. You know, that change is possible and, and they are at a point in time. And again, to go back to the posters that I developed, um, as part of my pamphlet, we will look at ourselves on the path and say, okay, where are you today? And, oh, yeah, I think I'm about here. And they'll put their finger on the line and, right, so, you know, there's still a bit of voice cracking happening and still some some breathiness, but, you know, you're heading along this way and you will get there. This is where you are now. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And I've given students who have been really struggling with voice change and they often will be ones who have just sung, opened their mouth and this glorious sound flowed out when they were prepubescent and then they get to voice change and all of a sudden it's a huge mess and they may have got a, a lot of social kudos from from being that little singing canary and now it's gone and who am I without that voice and I'm broken and I'm no good anymore mm. and once they realize when I hand them the pamphlet and go well this is what's happening you know there's often tears of relief which is pretty exciting for them you know I really pleased to think that we can ease that pain and because I think in this age that singing for a student 
Um, and I, I don't know whether it's a boy thing, but it's certainly a girl thing. Singing is a source of joy mm-hmm. and creative release. And, and if they sing in a choir, then there's that we're all here together. You know, we're supporting each other. Doesn't matter if my sound's not fantastic at the moment. Collectively, we're making a great sound. So I, I think there's a huge, well-being element to singing and singing Mm. with other humans yeah we can be in control as much as possible with how we conduct our lessons and creating that Mm. safe encouraging growth mindset environment we don't necessarily have tabs on what happens elsewhere like in the family with parents Mm. with other teachers that they might come into contact with at school who may not have that same approach Mm. Does that counteract what we do or does that just make the things that we do way more important or how would you advise us tackling that? Oh, I think it makes it even more important. And I think if they've got, if we repeat ourselves often enough, that becomes a talisman that they can hang on to. Um, And to just remind them that they're on a journey and it's their journey and they keep going, they'll get there. Yes. I, the commodification of singing in our society is a problem for, for me. I, I think singing is part of being a human, part of being an expressive uh, being, and it should, nobody should be allowed to tell someone else they can't sing or that they're bad. And I don't know why we feel the need to quantify singers. You know, and you hear it even on the radio when, you know, they'll talk, well, I don't know, maybe not elsewhere, but in Australia. Australia's a sports-mad country. And announcers won't feel any qualms about talking about having a kick of the football around, but talk about singing. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm sorry, I won't sing. Oh, I won't do that to your ears anymore. Why? Why? It's, do we ask people not to walk because they walk funny? You know, it's it's an expression of who we are. And if we can do it in a healthier more freeway, then that's to be valued. And yeah, maybe we're lone wolves saying that, but the more we value what our students are doing, then I think we're affirming who they are. And if we get them, if we let them know that we recognise where they are and what their goals are, then we're valuing them as humans as well as singers. So I think I do think goal setting, especially for adolescents, is super important and it helps to break down the goals break down their progress into small identifiable chunks you know that sense of again making learning visible making progress visible look how far you've come hey you know you've been working on your lip trill all year what was your lip trill like at the beginning of the year that's a learned skill oh yeah it's actually pretty good now so hey go you you know we can celebrate those teeny tiny things but that are all evidence of progress and as I say they get then a sense of agency that they're making progress it's it is hard when other when other people are saying oh can you stop doing that a lot of my students do their technical exercises in the shower Mm -hmm. um, and that's often a private place for them so so they get to do that not their repertoire obviously but just to run through their drills the shower has been a common place for them. Mm. The other thing that doesn't necessarily talk about other people, but I firmly believe in the value of habits. You know, if you think of how many people brush their teeth, that's a, a huge success for the dental profession mm-hmm. because brushing your teeth is not exactly fun. It's no. it's not, <laughs> you know, but we all do it. Not very many people would leave home, I don't think, before they brush their teeth and go to bed before they brush their teeth. We're all very inculcated to do it. And I used brushing teeth as an example for my students to remind them that if there's something that they know how to do it, they know they know what to do, and then they do it, and then it's done, and they can go, oh, go me. So I think, especially with teenagers, that sense of developing habits is a really powerful tool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe in giving them a sense of, um, a very clear sense of what they need to do when they're practising. 
I give them like a little, this is the first one, this is a vocal fitness routine, has three little exercises on it. And I've printed off on, I just did it in Canva. So I do a lot of accent method with my students. They all, we work our way through the different um, patterns. And I do a lip trill exercise and puffy glides, which are the Janice Chapman's puffy cheeks. Um, and so they're SOVTs, the semi-occluded vocal tract exercises. They're the main exercises I do with my students, partly because of their foundation in speech pathology, speech therapy, um, and that they've got evidence behind them, their evidence-based practice. So that's, uh, but I give them that little cheat sheet for them to put up on their bathroom mirror or on their desk um, notice board, and it makes it something that they go, okay, now I do this. Mm. And they remember it. It's the it's a known quantity. It just makes that entry into the discipline of practicing a lot more palatable and a lot more known. It's a known quantity. I just oh okay, I've been practice. I know what to do. I do this and then I do this and then I do this. And then once that's a habit, then you can go on to the more sophisticated versions of practicing. But I think those disciplines of regular do this, then this. And then you can feel good about yourself. You know, it's the um, James Clear, uh, uh, you have a trigger and a a, a routine and then a reward. Mm -hmm. So I talk to them about, I don't know what your reward might be, maybe give it, do a happy dance. Um, but ha what's your reminder? What's your trigger to do your, to do your routine? And then the routine's provided for them. So they don't have to think about what to practice. And um, the repertoire usually doesn't require the same motivation to practice does it it's, no no it's always no. the exercises <laughs> mm, mm. so vocally then what is happening during female voice change in terms mm -hmm. of development we've mentioned that it grows overall but what exactly mm. is happening in there yeah so the the larynx cartilages grow overall um, and then the muscles have to grow as well to control and move them and then the coordination of those muscles to move the cartilages so that the vocal folds come together also has to change and and refine itself um, what happens often is that the vocal folds don't close completely at the back. So the, you get a little opening at the back, the, um, the glottal chink developing, and that's what causes the breathiness. And because the, the, the lack of coordination and strength in the muscles, then you get a loss of strength in the, in the sound. They often become uncomfortable. They, the top especially becomes awkward and, and uncomfortable. I think that it's actually making sound is not an easy, comfortable thing to do mm -hmm. while voice change is at its murkiest. Um, you also get voice cracks because the voice is not able, the, the brain is not able to con control the adjustment of the vocal folds so that they can't um, um, lengthen or shorten according to what they need to do with ease and with precision so that you'll get a crack you know it'll be like oh like a hiccup or a trip mm -hmm. in in the larynx so the vocal folds have a moment where things just don't quite go to plan um, an example I use uh, 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 an analogy I use with my students is is that um, proprioception and, and that's partly what it is the proprioception we have for example when we're driving a car I drive a little jazz and which is quite zippy and I know exactly where it is on the road but when I drive my husband's four-wheel drive it's so much bigger I don't have a sense of where it is and I'm scared I'm going to take out parked cars and you know run over pedestrians and it's really awkward and and it's the same sort of process going on in our brain of learning to drive this different instrument that's in our neck yeah, so the so the vocal folds not closing cause the breathiness, um, the lack of coordination causes and, and lack of strength in the muscles causes the vocal cracking, um, and combined with all of that change in the way that larynx is operating, it becomes just like a poorly tuned engine. It just doesn't work very well for a while. So uh, my approach to that is then the voice needs to have more practice. Yeah. tuning mm. and and that's that's where i that's my go-to with exercises mm. to give to give it more practice mm. and can you talk a little bit about the different phases throughout the years and ages that mm. that are happening and, and what's changing 
Yeah, so the model that I've used in my pamphlets and is really our working model at the moment is that of Lynn Gackles, but it's from the early 90s and it was done with choral students. So it's it's the best we have and it's helpful, um, but I think there's probably more precision to be drilled into at this point. And that's why I'm hoping my colleague, Christina Gromborg's um, study might reveal some more in that way. But the phase one basically is the prepubertal voice. So before puberty starts to change, uh, they they don't have a, a uh, registration point. The voice just floats from high to low and it's clean, it's clear, and everything is just very comfortable. The, vo the um, average speaking pitch is a bit higher. Uh, that's culturally influenced, so I won't sort of say any any pictures but it's higher generally and then when puberty starts to happen the um, everything starts to grow and the hormones start flowing and the and the uh, we haven't even talked about the effect of hormones on the on the mucosal membranes but you know it's all pretty much the same effect is that things go murky and so it gets at its worst at about the time when the, the first period happens and they undergo a growth spurt. So the three things coincide. And in Lynn Guckel's model, she calls it phase 2A. And then after those three things have happened, phase 2B. So mm -hmm. and we've, it's full of voice cracks, as I say, loss of power. There's a registration point develops in phase 2A. Um, and I'm sure if you've been teaching girls, you will have noticed that they know where they have to change gears. And then there is talk in the model of a second registration point developing mm -hmm. in their sound, but I'm just not so sure about that. Um, it's there's some of the things that I noticed in the model that I find are really helpful to me in my teaching and for my students and other things that are just sort of intellectually interesting. Mm. So, yeah. So, um, but then phase three is when that mature voice starts to happen. And it's usually around about 15, 16 as the, the vocal apparatus develops and mm. the vocal um, ligament develops and there's more coordination. So the vocal folds are able to close more accurately. And, and make adjustments in registration. So you get fewer voice cracks and less breathiness. Mm. And hopefully everything is a lot more fun. Mm. But but at that time, then the pitch, the average speaking range, the average speaking pitch has dropped and the singing range has dropped by about a third too. What are your thoughts on the changing voice and voice injury? Is an individual going through the, these phases more susceptible because there are changes happening? I don't know that we know well enough about that. I don't think there's enough work. If you look at a, a an adolescent voice, you could easily say from the clinical signs you see that that's a disordered voice, mm. but it's actually normal. It's just going through those changing processes. So I don't know whether you could say that they're more prone. The voice is quite robust, mm. but I certainly am very, very wary of things like belting until that vocal ligament's developed and also until the brain has developed a, a sense of cognition enough to be body aware and really take on board the exercises that are being given um, to do that high intensity and also high intensity classical singing as well. So I guess in that sense, yes, I am concerned that the voice is at risk um, during that time, but it's really not because of the change. I think it's just a little bit too much too soon and the larynx isn't robust enough to to sustain those pressures. And some of the symptoms yeah. like breathiness, a bit of hoarseness, the mm. upper range maybe, losing a couple of notes or whatever that might be, are mm. in other terms red flags for for us in vocal health mm, um, and mm. you mentioned there about how looking at an adolescent voice might come across as looking a bit disordered mm. so when should we as teachers working with adolescent female voice send them to the ENT if we are worried mm. as well as considering that they are voice change symptoms yes I think it's something we do definitely need to be aware of and I have sent a handful of students to see the ENT. We, you know, I think you've got to know which ENT to send them to, to send them to a, a vocally aware uh, ENT. Uh, it's about of time, you know, if, the, if they've had something going on 
for six weeks and you think it's a little bit more than voice change and it is hard to quantify my my, my advice to would be if you are worried then do something about it recommend yeah. I, I i think don't panic but we can't nobody can tell from listening to a voice if it's disordered or not and i had one of my study students actually um i was almost convinced she had vocal pathology but then when we when we did uh, as part of my study collection data collection it, it wasn't it was just voice change but you can't always be sure and certainly children do get nodules and i've had several students who've had nodules it's hard I, I wouldn't like to say a hard and fast rule but i do think if you are concerned do something about it and go most ents certainly in this country and i think in the uk as well depending on where people are um most ents are happy for the singing teacher to sit in yeah aren't they? have you had that experience i've I've gone to quite a few of my students. Um, yeah, yeah. Things. I think they're also yeah. quite happy for, for observation in general anyway in the clinics. Mm. I remember yeah. we spoke to one of the, the best ENTs here in the UK, Dr. Declan Costello, for an episode mm -hmm. of the, the podcast. And I know that he has people in there for observation. And um, I think that's a great thing to do. Mm. Yes, yes. And and you just can't help but learn. Mm. And it also, I think, gives you more respect from the family if they can see that you know what you're talking about, especially if something shows up. This this little girl who I was worried about, um, but uh, kept going with the exercises. Last week she came, she went, oh, it's just so free. So it was really exciting. You know, it was a different of six months, bit of growing, bit of doing, she started doing the exercises more regularly. So I'm hoping that helped, but she has not had to have any investigation but every student i've sent for an investigation has had a problem right yeah. yeah yeah and and i think it's important to ask them too are you more sore after you've been singing because that's not that's not what you'd expect you know voice change is uncomfortable but it shouldn't be painful as the voice teacher we're we're asking for feedback from the singer about their experience in the song and the exercise and then we decipher what they're saying through your experience and your ongoing research, does there tend to be a pattern in how young female singers are expressing their experiences with singing? Mm. Mm. Yes, yes. And we have to be really careful to help them express in a non-judgmental way of themselves and, and to separate themselves from their voice. We track um, letter names in exercises, so I keep track of which notes they are comfortable in in their exercising, and I might make a note of, oh, you know, that was around about a D five. Is that does it when you got higher than that? Did it get easier, um, or is it still awkward around there? And and we will notice if that's a consistent finding, or you know, so if that's a registration point or if that was just a transitory thing and mm -hmm. and as the voice warms up or a few weeks later oh no actually that's comfortable there now when i'm doing the semi-occluded vocal tract exercises we use uh different like i have balance board in the room yeah. to stop them getting locked we concentrate a lot on alignment um, i have a beach ball that when we're talking about employing the support muscles, um, well, before that we work on getting the breath flowing and mm -hmm. the um, uh, um, the um, transversus abdominis muscle. Mm -hmm. And so we, we work on a splat breath and they'll drop the ball and catch it again mm -hmm. with every splat breath. So so we do a little sort of play in that regard. So when we're, we're dropping and catching the ball for the splat, and then when we're starting to use the, the obliques, you know, for support muscles, they might squeeze the ball a bit when they're, and so just as a an external um, idea of what's happening in their body to support the air flowing and the mm -hmm. sound flowing, um, not all the time, but just as a little bit of a, Oh, distraction and oh this is happening in your body you know again it's not it's not about can you do this it's it's trying to help their body map become more accurate and to help them become more body aware so i guess i use tools toys rather than language in that mm. regard mm. you know different in that regard and gesture yeah too yeah makes it fun Very, doesn't it 
Well, it does. And bearing in mind that their language is probably has, they may well have been more, have better language skills before they went through puberty than they have currently because mm. their brains, you know, everything's gone a little bit haywire. Mm. and getting rewired so i suppose i'm uh, i'm wary of asking too much language from them <laughs> yes yeah that's a good point so in the past thoughts have been noted that working on vocal technique should be avoided for this demographic mm. until their voice has matured however that's been challenged um, by many in the field and now it's stated that technical problems can actually be reduced or eradicated by doing certain mm. technical work. So how can we tackle some of the symptoms through exercise? And do these need to be adjusted in any way compared to how we would implement them into an adult voice experiencing the same issue? Mm, yes. Uh, so I've found Janice Chapman's nucleus and satellite model to be really helpful in this area. And with especially with the nucleus so I for for my goal for this age group is the the three core components which are um, balanced alignment and I, I can't remember exactly the words she uses but I think it's balanced alignment and um, airflow and breathing and primal sound mm. so the um, alignment I I um, get asked them to think about six points of balance and we do that as so so to my mind developing a technique is developing those three central tenets those central components um, and I think with students of this age getting that right is probably the best that we can do and I am loath to try to go too far in terms of other areas like articulation and special vocal effects at that age because I feel like there's enough going on in their body and their voice to to be going on with and it's better to concentrate on that um, someone at the con conservatorium commented once oh sometimes we wish they hadn't had lessons you know if they've come and there's a whole bunch of stuff that they have to unpick and relearn so I think it's it's quite helpful for us to try to be um, have have a clear simple plan mm. and stick to that get that right so in terms of balanced alignment I I use Barbara Connable's one two three four five six except I start at the feet and I think she talks from this head first but but we talk about you know the feet like a tripod and knees soft and pelvis like a bowl and we put marbles in our bowl and roll it around and stack up the spine of the the lumbar vertebrae and then have floaty shoulders and floaty heads so that becomes a little mantra that we start the lesson with and it it is often unspoken once they know what that is all about we'll just sort of look at each other and go oh here we are and when you get to the floaty head you know that everything's right and and I will look sometimes while we're doing an exercise I'll just look at the knees and they'll go oh, yeah my knees are locked or, or or I might just say how are your knees or you know it relax your jaw is your head floating so I try to keep the alignment very simple like that but actually quite targeted so that they um that they are are able to be watching for that themselves mm. um so that's that's alignment it's a focus at the start of the year and then it's just a, a you know a, a check in every lesson at the start of each lesson but it literally is five or ten seconds mm. um and then breathing, as I say, uh, I think Accent Method is fantastic for this with them. Um, it's um, Ginevra Williams talks about breathing needing to be carefully taught. She doesn't overtly say Accent Method, but it's it's um, aligns with Accent Method. So we will develop the splat breath. Um, I do a bit of floor lying, although didn't do so much of that during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. But we and and with the little one, with the younger ones, I'll just do the first bounce, which is you know and go through the fricatives so I will do the first bounce with the lilies and then sorry littlies that's rude I mean the 13 year olds 12 and 13 oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but actually I, I have done it with much younger students too and when I was teaching classroom music and I had some very rowdy um, year ones after lunch I would lie them on the floor and say okay we're going to do our breathing and we would go through the accent method fricatives and things so that was you know just and speech pathologists have the cute little names for the hissy goose and all these different mm. names that they use but um, anyway so the accent method and then I progress through that 
um, and as they get older, so my year nines are now they've done, uh, they're starting to open to vowels in the back, in the accent as well. So that we will just add to that. There'll be um, up to say three patterns on the go and it really doesn't take very long. I do do it um, at the start of the lesson. I think it's part of that developing a habit. Uh, the end of the lesson is much more free, but the first first half of the lesson is quite predictable. Mm. Um, you could say it's boring, but it's it's. I think it's what this age group needs to know what's happening as they become more advanced. I'll expect them to have done some of this before they come in. But at this voice change age, it, I get a lot of information from watching them go through these exercises with me. So I'm quite. Um, dictatorial in a way with this but so we'll go through and we'll do a literal exercise which is for the middle of the voice connecting the breath to the sound just a very simple you know um and we just do that between um you know in that middle octave of the voice and then the other exercise i do at the end of the glides and i will take that through the whole range and i call it yoga for the voice so we go from a3 to a5 um, and it's a very gentle soft puffy cheeks uh, i talk them through it as they do it and so it's just over a fifth um, and take that all the way through and i think that that is part of helping with the coordination of the larynx as it changes you know I, I talk to my students about the brain is connecting with the with the larynx so it goes through every single pitch in your range so even though it might not be comfortable for them to sing songs at that range in in their exercises they can still go through that two octave range mm. and and some of them I've changed if they've got really uncomfortable up the top I've brought everybody a uh, a tea thank goodness for bubble tea I have a nice range of colors I, yeah they're really I bought them online they're so they're just so easy and they keep one with them in the water bottle mm. so I have a I have my own Dr Fox which is I don't expect them to buy but yeah. having the it, that certainly is a way again because if their cheeks are bubbling they know it's working mm. so again it, it, it's again it's giving them their own tools that they can monitor themselves mm. which I think is helpful and having and some quite a few of them really like that gliding one they call it their little sort of um meditation time mm. <laughs> so i find it a bit boring i'd much rather the other two but some <laughs> of them really like that one but they do especially for my study students that's what has been my protocol so it's made me very disciplined with all, all my study students i've had to go through that every lesson and and they accept that was part of signing up to the study meant and they haven't minded either. So as we as we take a little, I might extend the type of exercise. You know, I've modified the puffy glides for the the older ones now in the last third of the study. But it's um, yeah, they're, they're on board. They mm. buy in. I'm amazed. I've turned them all into nerds. Local <laughs> <laughs> nerds. Little Frankenstein's. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but then we do play we still do have fun and and muck around with different repertoire and things so they're not you know it's not all hard work no and yeah. so what about things like breathiness and if you do notice a tongue tension where do your exercises usually take you there well I, I there are and I know Ginevra describes um, using fry and on setting there I think with this age group I have found more success just using the Bernoulli effect of sucking the vocal folds together, using the SOVTs, using the the straw in the water and the and the puffy cheeks, um, to actually just address the underlying issue rather than working on it for that point in time. Mm. So I think that that's my that's my go to with that where students are really in that phase to be really murky uncomfortable time i it's i give them an exercise generally to to address it for the long haul mm. rather than saying well let's try to get rid of the breath here. because they can get really despondent if they can't get it right mm. and again we're dealing with a brain that's being remodeled and so taking on board my instructions turning it into do this then that I think is a big ask of them. Mm. Whereas if if they learn to do an exercise and to do it well, 
Um, and then when we say doing repertoire, that's breathy or uncomfortable, let's do the rounds with it. So we'll do it with puffy cheeks or with the straw in the water or, and then we might sing it, you know, just a chunk of it with mm. lip trill and then do the text. So, you know, that's, we, and we call it do the rounds. I didn't make it up. I stole it from a colleague that term. But again, they've got a strategy. What can we do? Oh, we can do the rounds, you know? Okay, yeah, I know what do the rounds is. Yeah. Um, and so they, they know how to drill down and to problem solve for themselves, we might do it with part of a song in a lesson and then they'll go away and do it with other parts of the song. Mm. So it's I found more that about addressing it, but not having it as your main focus for that particular time. Like we're gonna eradicate exactly. breathiness and that's the only thing we're gonna do. It's like let's do a little bit of the stuff that's gonna help breathiness in the long mm. run and then we're not gonna get too hung up on it. Exactly. Yes. I think it's really important that we never get too hung up. If they start to get teary, I think, oh my gosh, I've really missed where this this conversation was going. And you mentioned primal sounds there mm. as well. So mm. how do you implement those in your in your classes? The one I use most is whinging. So to, to trigger twang. So we we um and we talk about twang triggers. Um, and that's fun to try to say twang triggers lots of times. Um, and the three that I use are quacking and cat meow, like quack quack and meow, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. So those three are, are usually what I replace text in the song with. Um, and we'll talk about being really frustrated. And and I, I, I use, I think it was at Dane Chalfam described the four as yell and uh, sigh and whinge and what's the other one sob yes so for these younger ones i found so much usefulness from whinge mm. i'd never use i with this age group because they've got enough breathiness to do with as it is yeah <laughs> but that whinge really helps helps because it's addressing the uh, you know the aryepiglottic sphincter above the larynx it's not actually addressing the vocal folds themselves so it's and it's tapping into those mechanisms that the body already has set up in a really um, unconscious way and we can we can just go there without too much intellectual thought mm. we're, we're we're feeling it we're being it we're not thinking it mm. so which is exactly what this age group needs yeah isn't it get mm. out of your head because your head's not working very well yes <laughs> well this part this part is in the front part's not working very well yeah yeah mm. so is there anything then on the back of that that you would say to completely avoid at uh, this particular age technique wise? Uh, I Anything that requires a great deal of conceptualization because I think by and large, although I have noticed that some really good dancers have great body awareness, I think by and large this age group don't have very good body awareness. Mm -hmm. So I'd be really, really wary of asking them to do anything that you have to explain in any great detail. You know, if you're having to go, oh, this, 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 I think you'll, A, you'll have lost them, and B, they, you can't guarantee that what they're hearing is what you're intending. Do you know? Mm. You know, if, if it's, that's why I like to do something that they can instinctively respond to, like with the primal sound, like with the whinge, or if we're referring to exercises and say, well, let's use that sound that we've been working on in our exercises. So anything that, that, and sometimes that's with a lot of articulation. I know, you know, a certain amount of articulation is important, but anything that might inadvertently create tongue or jaw tension, um, I am very wary of belting in, in younger ones, as I've probably already said. Um, for the same reason, I don't think you can guarantee that they're going to do it safely. And yes, I know they'll go home and, you know, do things and they'll go to sports day and scream their poor old lungs out and come back to you go oh my voice isn't working and then you can talk about vocal health but i see our job is actually about teaching them how to use the voice well mm -hmm. we we don't have to teach them to sing every song that they want to sing i don't believe we we give them skills and they can go and apply it to other songs but if we're going to work on something in the studio i think it needs to be something that they can learn from. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had productive conversations with students by, by asking them about, well, what are you gonna learn from this? You know, what what is it that, what's your goal? Is this going to help you address your goal of 
singing a wider range if we learn this song that's only got a note range of six notes you know mm -hmm. um, or or do you want more resonance in your sound? How do we get more resonance? Oh, that would be more airflow. So do you have some long phrases in this song that will help that resonance? No. Is this a useful song for us right now? Or could you just sing this at home mm. with your friends or do a busking or something? Um, and I always try to encourage them to find ways to perform. Um, but I don't believe they have to just, I don't have an ownership of what they sing. Mm. And I, I think I do have a responsibility to teach them to use their voice healthily mm. and clean and freely. And if that's, if I'm, if we're achieving that goal, then maybe I'm their little Jiminy Cricket sitting on their shoulder going, Oh, don't scream. Mrs. Rolls doesn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I, I love, I follow a lady called Lisa Damore. She's a, a psychologist in the States and she writes extensive. She's got a really, I've got her book here. Where is it? This one I love called Untangled. Have mm. you heard, come across Lisa Damore? No, I haven't. No. She's, um, anyway, she's, she's wonderful. Child psychologist, just speaks absolute sense. And um, she talks about the fact that the teenager that we, talk to is the teenager we will get that there will be a teenager who is or an adolescent um, I think she calls them kids there'll be a kid uh, there and if you go in hard and be aggressive and, and judgmental and like why did you have to do this why are you so messy or why why couldn't you be prepared that's what you'll get back where's it going yeah. well, this isn't really like you what's going on here was, well then you might you might appeal to that um, mm. that reason, that little bit of reasoning brain that's there. Another analogy I do like to tell my students about is um, that of squid ink or, or, or um, octopus ink. Mm. And when they're under threat, you know, they, the cephalopods squirt ink into the water so that you can't see them and they can swim away. And in, in um, adolescence, it's a bit like the amygdala. If, it, if you make the amygdala uncomfortable, it will fire off. And the poor old prefrontal cortex just can't work, shuts okay. down. So, and I think I wish that I wish that I'd known that sooner when my own children were that age. I might have not tried to go there so much. But um, so we would talk about that if they're under stress, you know, if they're heading into, say, an audition and they know there's a sight reading element, we'll talk about don't poke the amygdala because you don't want it to stop your thinking. You've got to be able to think and and keep life a bit sensible and calm. Mm. So not to get too frightened and, you know, don't don't set that chain of events in motion because you'll be having troubles then yeah mm -hmm. don't don't poke the amygdala <laughs> i mentioned earlier about um how you're currently studying for a phd where you're tracking mm. local development and responses to changes of nine girls and your experience yes. through one-to-one sessions has there been anything currently that surprised you and challenged any of the thoughts that you currently have i've actually been pleasantly surprised at how it's working you know, when I started, I thought, oh, there's no guarantee. It really bothered me that I couldn't have a control, mm. that how will I know what would happen for these? You know, I can't have a group of girls who don't have singing lessons, mm. um, but maybe sing. And how can I show that what I do makes a difference? And then I had to realise that I, I just can't do that. It's not, there's too many variables you can't control for that. Mm. So I've been, so that's more of a, a methodology thing for me um not so much i've been quite pleased that that the changes are happening mm -hmm. that, that i've seemed to have captured some of some of the students the students most by and large are going through changes at the time when i was hoping they would happen but no in terms of what they're doing i, I haven't yet part of the study is they're singing a song so i'm doing um i'm using ling waves to do a voice protocol with them and and we're doing a phonetogram and we're doing uh they're recording a little one verse of the parting blasts mm -hmm. and they're also doing a seven page reflection so unfortunately the reflection and i should have realized that you know you're not going to get reams of insightful prose out of a 13 year old are you <laughs> but um sometimes you sometimes you do sometimes you get you just have to get the pithy words mm. and and read through that way so it's really i've just been really 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 interested in how 
my response to teaching, I guess, is probably, to be honest, how when I have these parameters and I have to stick to this and I'm writing up the lessons each week as they happen, um, it's been a really interesting journey for me as a teacher to, to, to hone what I notice. You know, I've been teaching for a long time and you think you notice stuff, but when you have to write it down and we're all so busy and writing, writing up lessons is really quite onerous, especially when there's, when there's nine of them, but every week. Yeah. No, I, I can't say I, it's too soon to say what I find from, from the girls themselves, yes. Mm. But I, I was encouraged. I, I um, can I just read you a little bit from from their comments? Yes. About, about why it matters, because mm. I, in their reflection, I asked them what they think. I asked them about their identity as singers, and a lot of it's ticker box, so that I can analyse it um, uh, statistically. Mm. But a lot of it's ticker box, and then there's a little extra space for comment. So I want, and so you know, where do you sing, and how do you view yourself as a singer, and how do you consider yourself as a singer compared to how you were at primary school? Is it as important as it was? Those sort of things. Mm. Um, I ask them what they think of themselves as a singer and what they feel. So trying to sort of engage in a different way of viewing their singing so uh, one of the questions was how do you feel and so just three of those those girls have written um, singing makes me feel free when I sing and she wrote this when I sing I feel happy and like I have no worries is that, that gorgeous another girl said singing makes me feel free and happy and then she wrote singing takes my mind off whatever I'm thinking or worrying about and it makes me feel calm and then the third girl said, singing makes me feel annoyed because I'm not as good anymore. Oh, I know. And that was really, I, I yeah. I, and that little one is, it's a real battle with mindset and trying to encourage. And I know she was one of the ones as a child, because um, I knew, I've known her for quite some time, who could just open her mouth and glorious sound would come out. And people go, oh, you're such a gorgeous singer. We love listening to you sing. And she's lost that now. So mm. I don't know. She's singing a bit. She's, this is her um, third semester with me and she's starting to sing more. That was from her very first reflection. So it be interesting to see mm. what happens at the end. Yeah, oh. I know. Well, we wish you all the very best for this and, and we'd love to know Thank what you. comes out of your PhD yeah. but you've also created the pamphlet and the poster which we mentioned throughout the podcast yes so where can people actually get their hands on them and, and get them for their studios because they're very colorful and very succinct and informative yeah. to point towards thanks. thanks Alexa yes I um I felt really for, um, strongly that it was important to have quality paper that um, uh, they're quite a quite a big file so I, I actually get them professionally printed so that they don't end up mushed with the squished banana in the bottom of the school bag but there's the voice change pamphlet and I have a poster as well as you say you can point to the wall and a colleague of mine is actually working currently on a boys one I just sell them in packs really from my website which is Wendy at uh, wendy.rolls.id.au it doesn't seem like a website but it actually is um, so it's just my name with dots between and then ID individual I guess and australia.au um, and I sell there's two versions I only do A4 overseas because they're just too expensive to post I do A3 in Australia um, and so different packs of the um, you can get a poster and 18 pamphlets for don't know 40 no $24 Australian I think and and then up to if you're in Australia you can get a hundred of them hand them out with gay abandon really but uh, look I hope that they are useful I've certainly had really lovely feedback around the world amazingly mm. so and I think that's how you heard of me which was yes extraordinary mm. yes yeah absolutely and other than your lovely products there do you recommend us checking out any other resources on this topic oh yes I have so many books so I've already told you about Lisa Damore and Tangled yeah. um, and we've mentioned um, Leaf in Doubt, Breathe Out. This, I love this book by a lady called Wendy, Wendy Wood, Good Habits, Bad Habits. 
Yes. Got and one on um, have you got one? Yes. Yes. And how she talks about generating habits. I think habits are the secret source for our teaching. Really, mm. it's not. It's not um, obvious from the start. Um, I also have this book, and I think this is an English one as well. Blame my brain. Do you know oh, that one? No, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, um, that's by Nicola Morgan. It's more um, directed at. It's not as sciencey as Wendy Woods, um, mm. but it, it's a. It's a sort of a, a very parent student friendly uh, look at the you know it talks about there's um reading facial expressions for instance and and what teenagers will read and what what they are and, and about what the changes in the brain are just in mm. terms of being kind to yourself you know being kind and of course Ginevra's Ginevra's book is here yeah. and Janice Chapman's book is here <laughs> I haven't got the third version yet um there's also and these are and these I haven't dug into nearly as much as I want to but um this is a Sure, finding a failure's voice, opening a failure's heart. Okay. So that's by Lynn Lynn Gackle, who who really um, started a lot of this research. Really, she's mm. she's the original author of the of the um, model that we use, which is wonderful. And also, the last one is, and these two are very choral domain. So the others are more um, individual singing, but these two are more choral domain. And this is thinking outside the voice box, adolescent voice change in music education, and that's by Bridget. Sweet. Um, she's another American author. So they have, you know, they have the choral program in their secondary schools, which is quite different to our experience in Australia, um, where they have choir as a class. But, you know, it's got some, some lovely insights in um, fighting myths like, I'm an alto. No, darling, you're not an alto. You won't hit an alto until you're in your 20s and we can be sure. You've probably learnt to sing alto and you've been asked to sing alto all your life because you've got a good ear, you know, and anyway, so little things like that. Anyway. Brilliant. Well, Wendy Rolls, thank you so, so much for your time today and I've, I've really enjoyed pleasure. learning from you um, and we just wish you all the best for your PhD. Thank you so much, Alexa. That's lovely. It's been fun. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a ahem, five star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click write a review.